I expected at least one person to scream and say, no, Bill, no. I'm so disappointed in you. It's too late now. It's too late. My goodness. All right. So, uh, during the CBR readings this year, I came across a story that is going to be the basis of my message today. And when Stephen uh, asked me to uh, preach today, uh, and I turned to God and said, well, I need to start preparing. What should it be? Immediately, this story came uh, to mind. Now, in the CBR materials, it was in the Gospel of Matthew, but there is a similar account with more detail in the Gospel of Luke. That's why I chose the Gospel of Luke from which to preach. Um, so I'm going to read the passage from Luke 8. Can you see it on the monitor? It's in the bulletin, okay? Uh, this is from Luke 8, chapter, verses 42 to 48. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who, who is it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds around you uh, surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Uh, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. So let's take a moment and quickly pray. Father, we ask that uh, we see in this uh, story another example of the Christmas story. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, uh, I have a timer. And I'm going to push start in about 10 minutes. <laughs> So the first thing I, uh, to understand is the woman's situation, the desperate nature of her plight. Uh, first, she was personally uh, cut off. Now, one of the things I love about scripture is that it's very direct. Even when its language is soft, it doesn't hide any of the warts of human life. This woman was probably struggling from some kind of uncontrollable menstrual flow. It was very embarrassing to her. She had been struggling with it for 12 years. We don't know how old she is in the story. And it involved uh, great physical suffering. Uh, she was cut off personally as a result of this condition. And she had given up hope. 
it says she could not be healed by anyone. So she had gone down to Tijuana to the alternative medicine sites after Kaiser had failed her. She'd been on the internet. Everything that she tried uh, had failed. And it was one infomercial after another, faith healers, exotic remedies, you name it. She had tried it and nothing worked. And, uh, but her sense of identity had been profoundly and adversely impacted. She was, to everyone who knew her, that sick woman. No longer name, no longer attached to a family, she was that sick woman. Uh, and people talk, people gossip, and they rightfully speculate, not rightfully, hurtfully speculate. Many people probably had theories about why she was sick. And probably everyone's theory cut her heart. They were all far from it. All their theories related to her failures as a person in some way. She's sick because, and they filled in that blank with some bad behavior, bad attitude on her part that they had imagined, but that they had ascribed to her. Uh, so she is cut off personally, but she's also cut off financially because it tells us she spent all her living on physicians. She was financially destitute at this point. But she was also cut off from worship in the temple that is coming to church. Now in our Western culture, we don't really appreciate the impact of this because today many people think that church is either irrelevant to their spiritual health or detrimental to their spiritual health. And though they are wrong, that belief seems to be widely spread. But in this time, all of Jewish life revolved around the temple in Jerusalem or the synagogues in their home communities, which were like satellite uh, temples. All the celebrations started at the temple or the synagogue. The weddings, the funerals, everything in life was tied to the temple and to the synagogue. They came annually for Passover. It was the site and center of Jewish life. But she could not enter the temple. Let me read from Leviticus chapter 15. When a woman has a discharge of blood and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. And everything on which she lies during her impurity shall be unclean. Everything also on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall watch his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whether it is the bed or anything on which she sits, when he, when he touches it shall be unclean until the evening. So she is not only cut off financially cut off from a sense of who she is as a person, but the community of worship where she can turn for support and help is all gone. Nobody can embrace her. Nobody can put her head on their shoulder because they'll be unclean. And if they're unclean, they can't go into the temple. So she is cut off in every way that you and I need when we are hurting. So she's cut off from a community. Uh-oh. Oh, thank you. This is an iPad and I just hit the wrong part, but it came back. Um, 
by any measure, this woman is in a desperate place. And let me ask, have you ever yourself been in a desperate place? Or it may be that today you are in a desperate place. Uh, do people have theories about why you are in the predicament you are in? Do they say things like, well, you're not praying enough, or you don't have enough faith, or you don't go to church enough, or, or whatever? If you've ever experienced that, or if you are doing that to somebody, this story can ring true to you. Uh, well, the first thing we see is that the gospel meets this woman's deepest personal needs. She was so desperate that she took this incredibly risky gamble of going out in public in the midst of a pushing, shoving crowd just to possibly creep up behind Jesus and touch the hem of his garment. It was risky because if Jesus had been a Pharisee and she had touched him and the Pharisee knew anything about her physical condition, he would have publicly condemned her. The words that would have come out of that Pharisee's mouth would have made her shrink to the size of a mouse. She would have been called out and she would have been vilified, not only by the Pharisee, but by other people. Nobody would have rushed up to her and sh shaken their hand, their finger in the face of the Pharisee. They would have all agreed with him. So here she's taking a huge risk to touch Jesus in this crowd and to kind of minimize the miss risk. She crawls down, she comes up behind him, and she sneaks a touch. How long has, she been, has it been since she's been embraced? Not even to mention, just touched. How long since someone had looked upon her with pleasure rather than disdain or pity? How long has she, had it been since she felt clean inside and outside? How long since she had just gone out shopping with friends and throwing her head back in free laughter? At least 12 years she had been without the kind of companionship that you and I perhaps take for granted. But what does Jesus do? It says he's turned to her and said, daughter, and instantly the woman was made well. She needed to be physically healed, and she was. She needed a broken heart to be made whole again, and it was. She needed to be seen and valued as a person, and Jesus did that for her. And Jesus also commended her. He said, your faith has made you whole. Now, that statement is not saying that Jesus, that our faith heals us. It's not saying that. Jesus heals us, and our faith enables us to believe the healing. There is a warning here, and the warning is the mistaken belief that you are sick because your faith is weak. You are in the predicament you're in because your faith is weak. The danger of that is that if you have said that or thought that, it implies that you are not sick or not in a predicament because your faith is superior to that of someone else's. We are sick for a lot of different reasons, but underneath all sickness is the truth that we live in a fallen world. 
in the world that Jesus intended for us and is creating for us, there will be no sickness. There will be no failure. There will be no discharge of blood and there will be no broken hearts. But in the fallen world, it grows out of Adam and Eve's sin. We have sickness and we can't explain why sometimes. Sickness exists because sin exists. Not your sin, but our sin collectively. Sin and sickness entered the world through Adam and they remain in the world because you and I are sinners. Well, Jesus provided the kind of physical and spiritual healing uh, which permeated the deepest part of this woman's heart and soul. He provided all of that for her in a moment. And so the gospel shows us how God has provided for all our needs through Jesus Christ, Christmas. Do you think perhaps in your own situation that your time is running out for Jesus to help you? Are you thinking that if he doesn't help today or this week, it will be too late? Uh, Do you think you have a need too great for his power or outside the reach of his love? A need that Jesus cannot meet. If so, please remember this woman. Well, not only did Jesus meet her deepest personal need by healing her, but he also gave her a new identity. He said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well, and instantly she was healed. No longer that woman, but our daughter. Jesus gave her recognition status within Israel and made her a part of his family. The importance to her of knowing that she was now connected, that she was now a part of something larger than herself, that she was seen, valued, respected, and loved. The importance to the community of seeing that God heals people. It is important to all of us to know that though we are intouchable in our minds, that God brings us into a community and we now are touchable. In India, they're called the Dalits. Touching them is considered a sin. If they touch someone, it's considered a sin. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of us are Dalits who are made right before God. So before her identity was rooted in her sickness and the humiliation and isolation it caused. But now her identity is rooted in Christ in the fact that he has called her daughter and brought her into his circle or community. That may not seem like a big deal, but it's huge. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the great German Christian philosopher, struggled with a a, a definition for sin. And all the definitions to him seemed inadequate until he came up with this thought. Having identity rooted in anything other than Christ is sin. If our identity is rooted in where we go to school or what city we go in or what our football team is or how successfully we've been or the fact that we're rotten, we've been in jail, we've been a prostitute, whatever that is, if that's our identity, it's a sin. Our identity is this. We are saved by Christ We are hidden in his love, and we are made new by his death. So this woman has a new identity. How you overcome the limitations of your own background? Do you think that, you know, 
sometimes our background can be like a chain and we can't walk because we are so hindered by our past. Maybe we grew up in a family where we were ridiculed, we weren't respected, we were the runt. Uh, people say things like, you'll never amount uh, to anything, or you're always uh, such a screw up, what, whatever. And that stays with us like, I don't know if you've ever walked through a spider's web, you know, you can, you can seem never get that stuff off. And that's sometimes like I passed it. We can never get it off. It's always clinging to us and defining who we are. And maybe it's just the other way around. You grew up as the golden child. You could do no wrong. The waters part when you come. And you have a completely unrealistic view of who you are. And trying to keep up with those expectations drives you into depression. Because you know, deep in your heart, you're not that good. But Christ comes, and there's this wonderful passage in 2 Corinthians, which you've heard before. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So do you want to be a new person? Do you want a fresh start? The only permanent and satisfying way of doing that is to first receive the salvation of Jesus Christ and the second is to live in the salvation he has provided. You can say, I used to be a man who abused women, but now I'm a new man. You can say, I used to be an alcoholic, but I am a new woman in Christ now. It's simple but it certainly isn't easy. But Jesus has already done all the heavy lifting. He has given us the reason for change. He is himself the power to change through his Holy Spirit. He is the reason to change, and he makes the change worth it. I mean, we have to ask, when we had to give up that thing that's gripped us so long, whether it's a pleasure that's sinful or hurt that wounds, is it worth the effort to change? And the gospel tells us it is. Can you relate to this? Is your identity rooted in Christ who has saved you or is it rooted in something else? Is it rooted in the fact that you don't have a job, uh, that you are formerly addicted to alcohol or drugs that you spent time in jail, that you graduated with honors from a particular school. Well, the gospel gives us a new identity which is fixed in Christ. So the gospel has met her deepest personal need. It has given her a new um, uh, identity. And if you look at point three in your, or point four, it also reconnects her to community in a brand new, new way. Not only does the gospel of Jesus meet our deepest needs, gives us a new identity in himself, but the gospel reconnects us to community. This woman goes from being an outcast to being a member of a vibrant community that loves and accepts her. 
Matthew must have identified with that. Matthew was the hated tax collector. And Jesus said, come, and all the other disciples who were already with him were obligated to receive Matthew because Jesus had received him. You and I, are, as believers, are obligated to accept whoever comes into the body of Christ because Jesus has received that person in the body of Christ, and we have no more right to be part of the body than they do. The woman um, uh, is made a member of this community, and God has created all men and women to thrive in and need community. We are made to be creatures who exist in and thrive in community. Now, sometimes because we have a fallen nature, the community in which we are part can be corrupt. It can worsen the state in which we find ourselves. But look, teams, clubs, gangs, neighborhood associations, all of these are an expression of the fact that God has wired us to need to be part of a community. Um, being part of a church community is how others help us. Just ask yourself, if you're part of this church community, how many people in this church body have helped you in some way, either a kind word or tangibly? And flip the question and ask, how many times in this community have you helped someone uh, through a kind word or something even more tangible, uh, tangible than that? Because of Jesus, the other members are compelled to regard this woman as healed. A new light, just as she was compelled to regard herself in a new light. This is an incredible thought. This is one reason the gospel is so powerful among my people, black people, because they could hear this woman's story and identify with her. They did not have a discharge of blood, but they were untouchable as slaves. They were disdained as slaves. They were cut off from the larger community. Uh, they had no status. Their identity was not in being the child of God, but in being slaves. In fact, there's an old hymn of uh, Negro spiritual that says, they called me everything but a child of God. This is the kind of message that reaches out to every single person, regardless of their culture. So let me take a moment and talk uh, to the person who, uh, metaphorically speaking, has a discharge of blood. There is a sin in your life that's so gripping you cannot tell anyone about it. There is an experience from your past that mars the way you view life and the way you view yourself. There is a hurt so deep that you try to ignore it and you cover it up with wine, women, song, or being active in church, whatever it is, instead of taking that issue directly to Christ. There is a flow of blood and we need a healing that is deep, that is thorough, and that is permanent. 
and all our resources are dried up. We have no money to pay for this thing. If you have been that way, Jesus invites each and every person to come and just touch the hem of his garment. We don't have to donate any money to him. We don't have to run a campaign for him. All we have to do is express our deep need for Savior and to recognize that he alone saves us. I have known uh, people like this. I have known a man, if you met him today, you would say, this is the kindest man I've ever met. Fled Detroit because as a member of a gang, he had shot and killed someone. And if you met him today, you would never think that this guy ever had a violent past. As sweet and as kind a person as you could meet. But see, he had a discharge of blood. And he had to go to Christ and confess his sin and go back to his hometown and confess what he had done. And miracle of miracles. They said, just go back to San Diego. So if, if you are that person and you have this problem from your past and nothing else has worked, the beauty of the Christmas story is that God has recognized that you and I cannot come to him. And so he comes to us. And we cannot really identify with him because he are, we are sinners. So he identifies with us by taking on our sin, living in our condition, and then taking upon himself every sin we've ever committed and giving in return his own righteousness. That's the Christmas story. But for the person who doesn't have a deep hurt from the past, you grew up in a loving, functioning family. Most of your life has been pretty good. There have been no major upheavals. You've had reasonable success in school, reasonable success in relationships. How does this fit you? Where do you find yourself? Uh, in the story. And here's the genius of God's gospel. The deepest need we have to be accepted, to be made a part of community, to have a relationship with God, reaches out to the people who have known only relatively good times as well as to the people who've known relatively only bad times. The connection between all is the recognition that we need a savior. The song that, uh, that John led us in, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." That's part of the gift of God. What uh, the author is saying in that song is that it is God's grace to bring to our attention the fact that we need a savior, regardless of how moral we are, regardless of how comfortable our life has been. He brings to us the recognition that we desperately need a savior. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and it doesn't stop there, and grace my fears relieved. So let's take a moment and look at this woman. 
Let's say that she was part of our life group and that she has gone through uh, what we call ACTS, an acronym for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. I could just uh, imagining, imagine this woman saying, um, God, you are the healer. And your healing is not temporary, it is permanent. It is not partial, it is complete. You have regarded me as a sinner out of the abundance of your love, mercy, and grace. You are overwhelming in your kindness to me. Your reach is beyond my ability to run. You are patient and long-suffering. I exhausted everything else before coming to you. And yet in patience and long-suffering, you did not reject me because I came to you only as a last resort. God, you are kinder than any person and your grace endures forever. And I confess to you, my God, that I have been slow in coming to you, that I have wasted my money on things that do not satisfy. I have sought other healings, I've sought other lovers, I've sought other remedies. I've done everything else but come to you. Forgive me for having put you last rather than first. Forgive me for not bringing all my troubles to you rather than just some of my troubles. Forgive me for thinking that your love could not reach to my problem. Forgive me for thinking that somehow my sin limited your power to help me. I'm so sorry that I put you in a box. Please forgive me. And then with thanksgiving, she says to Jesus, I just thank you, Jesus, for taking on flesh, coming to earth, and living among us as the perfect man. I thank you for turning to me in the crowd and not condemning me as I expected and deserved. For in touching you, I violated the law. In touching you, I exposed you to my own sin. And yet knowing all of that, you turned to me with loving kindness and you called me daughter. You brought me into your family. And you not only took away my sickness, which might have been easy, but you bore my sickness and you bore my sin. By your stripes, we are healed. By your own suffering of the rejection of mankind, by your suffering on the cross, my healing is full, complete, and eternal. And I thank you for not turning away from me with disgust, but bringing me into your bosom and calling me daughter. And then in supplication saying, oh, Holy Spirit, please cause me to come to Jesus Christ first. Make me the kind of woman who is so open to your movement in my heart 
then I can reach out to people who are hurting as I used to hurt, who had spent all their money on wrong things, who had looked everywhere else for relief except to Jesus. Make me the woman who will go to that person with the tenderness you showed me, with the kindness you showed me. In fact, Jesus, I recognize that I am inadequate, but Jesus is totally sufficient. So Holy Spirit, I need you to love other people through me. I need you to reach into my heart and cause me to reach out to people in my community who seem to have everything together, but who inwardly are bleeding either literally or metaphorically. Make me an instrument of your peace. Use me to be a blessing in the lives of others. That I can tell other people what Christmas is all about. That it is not the gift giving, though that is good. It is not the revelry, though that is good. It is the knowledge that God has come in the flesh to take away our sicknesses, to take away our sins, and give us a new identity, to meet our deepest personal needs, to make us part of an eternal community where we have in common the salvation by grace through faith. Let's pray together. Lord God, this is so marvelous a story that you would share with us. And one day when we come in heaven, we will meet this woman. And we will get firsthand the story of this momentous day. But God, cause us to see around us every day the people who have this story or one like it in our own church. Cause us to be somebody who shares the story with others who need to hear it. Cause Christmas to be something that we celebrate not on December 25th alone, but from January 1 to December 31, that every day we will awaken with great joy that we have been saved by grace through faith. Amen.